<laughs> Another clean, clear start to the, the episode. Yeah. And now... Can you tell that we're sitting here talking about what should we talk about? Hi there. This is Robert and Rosalie bringing you the I took a right turn and it turned out wrong. I took a wrong turn and it turned out right. Okay, this is getting to be way too much. Um, <laughs> Welcome to I took a right turn. There you go. Okay. Yes. This is season two, episode six. Okay. And uh, he's got it together. Yeah. Oh man, I tell you, you know, we we get in here and we we're just talking about well, should we pray before we start on here? With, and, you know, and then it's like because we've already prayed for the day ourselves. Oh, but yeah. we were talking about praying on the program. Right. Well, that isn't all we were talking about. <laughs> no, but I mean, we were talking about praying opening each episode with a prayer because we pray a lot during the day. I mean, we both pray a lot, you know, we pray separately. Yes, we do. But this isn't about prayer today. No. No. Okay. <laughs> dead air, Robert, dead, dead air. air. Yeah, dead air. So what are we going to talk about? Right. Oh, we're going to talk about... Um, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to do doodling Bibles. I have <clears throat> the New King James, and Rosalie has the Message. I actually have a parallel Bible that has eight different translations in it, and I love it. But I'm using the Message today. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So we're sort of doing dueling Bibles, and we're in Acts chapter one. I'm going to start at the fourth verse, and Rosalie is going to start somewhere because <laughs> with the you know with the Message, it doesn't have exact uh, verse numbers. Correct. Okay. So uh, what we're talking about actually here is witnessing and yeah. how we are supposed to be witnesses. How we're called to witness for the Lord. Amen. You know. <clears throat> and yet when people give a testimony, um, I think we get confused sometimes giving our testimony and trying to tell people um, what God can do for them when in fact what we're supposed to tell them is what God did for us. Amen. That's a good point. You know. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, uh, in church when they say, can I get a testimony? You know, what they're talking about is what has God done for you. Correct. You know, but truly, a lot of times people are talking about, oh, what God can do for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're talking about this because the song, you know, we're sharing today is, is about witnessing that there's a reason for our breathing, you know, and, and it comes down to it's our witness. Yeah, and there's been many times throughout my life I've wondered what my reason for breathing is. And I know a lot of other people have also. Amen. You know, and um, it's it's tough sometimes, you know. When we're faced with difficulties, it's like, what am I doing here? Why am I breathing? Why don't I just go away? Well, I remember when I first got saved, you know, I felt like all I want to do is do what God wants me to do. And then I'd sit there, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And look at the ceiling, you know. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Got to look up. Yeah, you got to look up, you know, but it, it felt like I'm asking God, but I wasn't hearing anything from God. You know, he's not coming out and saying, you should do this, you know, and it's like, I know many, many people have asked us, what should I do, what, am, what is God calling me to do and everything, and the first place we should ever go for what God is telling us is the Word, mm-hmm. you know, I mean... He's not going to ever tell us anything that contradicts his word. Mm-hmm. And his word is the first, that's it. That's his propositional 
statement to the human race. You know, so everyone, you know, we should always look to the word first. So here we are in Acts chapter 1, and uh, in the New King James, I'm going to start at the fourth verse, Acts 1, 4. It says, and being assembled together with them, he's talking about the disciples. And now remember, the disciples weren't just the 12 apostles. There was all these other people who were there all together, even when later in this chapter when they chose somebody to take Judas's place, Peter said, well, let's choose from among those who've been with us all the way since John's baptism. I mean, they traveled with him the whole time. There was always this crowd of disciples, not just the apostles. So he says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Correct. We were just talking to somebody about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right, you know, and so many people don't even know what it is. I mean, I know I didn't when I first got saved. I I, well, I didn't either, but I also know that people think they have it because they were taught that as a child. I remember being in a church that, and we'd been there for a long time, yeah. and people would give their testimony all the time. I'm saved and baptized with fire, and you know. And then the pastor later, wasn't too much longer, came to us and said, "Would you teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit?" And I was shocked. Yeah. We yeah. said, "Wait a minute! They're just all everybody just stood up right now and said, I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost and filled with Spirit and fire and all this.'" He said, "Oh, that's just what they say." Yeah, they don't know what it they is. They don't even know what it means. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and we've talked to people. Matter of fact, at, at services we do at uh, the missions and stuff, we said, "Do you know about the baptism in the Holy Ghost?" And you know, ninety percent of the people just sit there and look at you like, "Duh." Well, it's not taught that much. No, but it is where our power comes from. Amen. And our power to go out and witness and to do what the Lord tells us to do. You know, a minute ago you said something about we don't need to keep asking God what to do. It's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, is it specifically? I mean, go do this and go do that. And I, I'm not so sure. You know, as an individual, they want people want to know um, exactly what to do, and I'm not sure that it really says that. Well, I think that's because we expect them to say stuff like, "Go build me a monument," or you know, "Build a building," or "Do this," or "Do something like that." When actually. What he tells us to do is to be his witness, to tell people what he's done for us. That's that's our job. Yes, but that doesn't mean to go stand on the street corner and stand on a soapbox. Not necessarily as that. one who has done that. Correct. You know. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and that might be the right thing to do, but maybe not all the time. Yes. Or every person. And it's hard. Well, it's just hard to discern that. Now, for us, I'm trying to think of how we came about the first time we ministered to the homeless on the desert. Well, it wasn't on the desert. It was in the park. In the park. And the reason we did it is because we knew that they, they were there. The homeless were there underneath the sleeping <laughs> under the equipment, the, the toys and stuff. <laughs> and swing sets. Right. And, and we also knew that as alcoholics, they like sugar. Right. And so first thing in the morning, 
a pancake with some syrup on it might be good. So that's how we did that. But I guess it was God calling us to do it because it sure went from other places. Well, yeah. I mean, we were in Arizona and we had just gotten together as a couple, Rosalie and I, and, and she had been called. She, she told me that I was ready to go back to Michigan where I had come from. And she said, no, you know, God called me to Arizona. So I figured, oh, okay. And then that was the thing, to, to go out and minister to those people. And when we were there, she'd be cooking the pancakes and talking to them. And I'd play guitar and talk to them. And we were doing our witnessing, both of us. Well, we had other people with us. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was a witnessing thing. You know, but then he said here in, in, in uh, the New King James... He said, uh, they, they go on, and of course, they're asking about the end time. You know, you get 10 Christians together, and nine of them are going to ask you, is it the end times, brother? Well, Jesus had all these people together, and of course, they're asking about the end times. And he tells them, that's none of your business. He says, but you, in verse 8, and this is, this is a, a, a verse that, you know, is fundamental to Pentecostalism, charismatic, anybody who believes in the Holy Ghost and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. This is a fundamental verse. Acts 1.8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so that's it. You know, he tells them, don't, up there in four, he said, don't leave, whatever you do, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Ghost. And then he says, when you do receive the Holy Ghost, go and be my witness. And so, I really take that as, that's his commission to us, to all of us, not just the disciples, not just the apostles, but to all Christians, to be his witness. You know, his when you're a witness, if you're a true witness, you're just telling the truth of what you saw. Think about it in court. What does a witness do? It, it speaks to what they know, what they've seen. What the, what they, it's not hearsay, oh, this, this happened to so-and-so. We're talking about what happened to us. And people can choose not to believe us. They can choose to call us liars. They can say we're exaggerating. But if we're telling the truth, we know we're telling the truth. And if we're witnessing for Christ, I really believe His Spirit will be in that witness. I agree. I agree. Now, in the message uh, written by uh, Peterson, I just want to read this one little clip. Um, as this is the introduction to the book of Acts. I was just going to read it as if it was me, but it's not me. <laughs> I didn't write this. He did. And it says, The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues in the lives of those who believe in him. The supernatural does not stop with Jesus. Luke makes it clear that these Christians he wrote about were no more spectators of Jesus than Jesus was a spectator of God. They are in on the action of God, God acting in them, God living in them, which also means, of course, in us. Great summation to this whole discussion. Amen. And, and, you know, that's why Acts is called the fifth gospel, because mm -hmm. it's the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's the gospel of how the Holy Spirit entered into 
the disciples, the followers of Christ, and continued the work of Christ into the new new life. And that's what we're called to do too. So yes, I think that is a great summation. Yes, it is. So, and to you all, don't wait. You know, you don't have to have somebody lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask and you shall receive. Amen. 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 And I think it's really appropriate right now that we, we go forward and we share the song for this week. It's called There's a Reason. Mm -hmm. And it sort of sums up this whole conversation. So hope you enjoy the song. Here it is. Life, it can seem so long to write and don't do wrong cause nothing brings it back once it is gone. Have you ever lived your life so hard that winning wasn't in the cards and everything you had sort of slipped away? chapter 6. Now remember, this is out of the book America's Trojan War, which is the first in a five-book series. 
and they're all available on Amazon. We're going to read Chapter 6 right now. America's Trojan War, Chapter 6. What can't happen here has. On December 7, 1941, the Japanese could not believe that they were actually able to catch the United States napping at Pearl Harbor. Of course, they had done everything they could to achieve this surprise. However, there had been so much going on in the last year. The war in China, America's ultimatum, and of course, the long and obviously drawn-out negotiations in Washington between the two governments. They had planned to have a declaration of war in the hands of the United States government before the attack, so they did not expect to find the Hawaiian Islands without any protection whatsoever. In August of 1996, Osama bin Laden had issued his first fatwa against the United States and Israel. It was a 30-page polemic entitled Declaration of War Against the Americans Occupying the Land of the Two Holy Places that was published in a London newspaper. There was a second fatwa published on February 23, 1998. This fatwa was not issued by Osama bin Laden alone. The fatwa was signed by many other leaders of terrorist organizations. Both of these declarations of war were published before the bombings of the American embassies in Africa and the attack on the USS Cole. Despite two declarations of war and two subsequent attacks, everyone in the United States, including our government, was taken completely by surprise when our sworn enemies turned our planes. By 2016, America had been dedicated to contain, degrade, and destroy the Islamic State. For more than four years, many people had warned that the administration's plan to bring in hundreds of thousands of refugees from Syria was like bringing the Greeks' gift horse into Troy. Many had pointed to the attacks in France and the compelling evidence, such as the Islamic State's own promise to send their warriors in amongst the refugees. That was a, it was a mistake of colossal proportions. However, an administration that had won re-election with the slogan, GM is alive and Osama is dead, who had campaigned on their prowess of defeating terrorism to the point that no one was left on the court but the JV team, marginalized and ridiculed anyone who was brave enough to issue unheeded warnings. Led by a president who would not even say the words radical Islamic terrorists, and a president who looked out at a world engulfed in terrorist aggression in Africa, Europe, and Asia, and yet said over and over that man-made global warming was our greatest security threat. He even said that he thought man-made global warming was the cause of terrorism and that the bravest thing we could do to confront the terrorists was to conclude a carbon reduction treaty. The pro-state corporations, once known as the mainstream media, trumpeted the president's lines and ridiculed anyone who disagreed. They contorted facts however they had to 
in order to say there was no organized terrorist threat in America. Just as every president was always killed by a lone crazy person, anyone who committed a terrorist act was a lone wolf, and most obvious terrorist acts were called instead such things as a man-caused disaster, random violence, or a workplace violence. Whatever it was, they knew it wasn't an organized terrorist threat in America because the president said it wasn't implicitly saying over and over again, it can't happen here. As America slumbered, evil plotted and planned. Enemies infiltrated and stockpiled. Warning after warning was ignored and discounted. Like a person with ADD, America would wake up after every attack and then lose focus as the next shiny object was dangling in front of their eyes. Global warming infrastructure, healthcare, and whatever it was, we majored on minors, concentrating on peripherals as deadly forces aimed at our heart and waited to bring death and destruction designed to turn the American dream into a nightmare. Thanks for listening. We hope you received something from all of this, hopefully from the Lord, not us. And uh, we will be with you in the future. Yeah, yeah, look forward. This is thank you for tuning in to season two, episode six, and episode seven will be coming soon. Mm-hmm.